the podcast, people. <laughs> you know, I was born in North Sea Colliery. I should have remembered that because my mother used to work for them. I'm champion lead at the Rugby Fight. She went flying over Maypole into Bustelli. Tonight's episode is a first attempt at a Halloween special, and I have wanted to do a Halloween special since I started doing the programme three seasons ago, because I blooming well love spooky stories, and if I could find enough spooky stories from the northeast, I was sold on the idea. And I think I have. So tonight's episode is a fantastic interview with Sylvia, who runs the Haunted Palace blog and Instagram. If you haven't already checked it out, please do. They're on Instagram, and... Um, their blog is absolutely awesome. Um, their blog is hauntedpalace.co.uk, full of really fascinating stories. And there are two books, or at least there will be by the time this episode airs, uh, two books out from the team behind the blog. The first one, The Haunted Mirror, History, Folklore and the Supernatural. And the sequel to that book comes out on Halloween weekend. Obviously. <laughs> So, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce you to the story of the Wall's End Witches. So, my name's Sylvie Blakely, and I've been writing the Haunted Palace blog with um, a friend of mine, Ilana Barnard. We write under the names of Lenora and Miss Jessel because we like to focus on dark folklore, so we, we pick suitably dark um, pen names. We've basically been exchanging books and discussing tidbits of history for years, and we decided we, we quite liked the idea of setting up a blog so we could share that passion with, with a wider audience. Um, so that's where this all came from. In the first year that I was writing the blog, I thought I needed to do something for Halloween since we were focusing on the darker bits of history and strange things. And since I was a child, I'd heard this story that there were witches in Wall's End um, and I nobody would ever been able to give me any details. I remember sitting in a car when I was about nine, going over the bridge over the burn in Wall's End and my mum just going, yes, there were witches down there. And I just was fascinated and nobody could ever tell me anything about these witches at Wall's End. So I um, I did a little bit of digging and I, I found the story was recounted in, in a lot of detail in quite a few Victorian table books. So they're basically like the coffee table books of the day full of interesting stories and bits of folklore and, and legend and history. So Richardson's table book covers it. Um, the version I had was, was in the Monthly Chronicle for April 1888. North Country Lore and Legend. So I will begin. This is the tale of the Walls End Witches. A member of the Delaval family was riding home from Newcastle one night. As he passed the hill upon which the Church of the Holy Cross sits in Walls End, he saw a faint and flickering light. Curious to what could be happening at midnight in a deserted church and convinced it wouldn't be anything good, he decided to go and investigate. Handing his horse to his servant, he walked across the dark ground 
to the silent building. Reaching the he peeked through one of the windows and was horrified by what he saw inside. Within the church, a group of hideous hags were conducting nefarious deeds. One particularly ugly witch was standing at the altar, upon which was stretched out the naked corpse of a girl. Upturned skulls were set at each corner of the altar. In the shadowy light, Delville saw the hag raise the knife and cut the breast of the corpse and hand it to one of her uh, companions. Horrified at this sacrilegious behaviour, Delaval decided to apprehend the women. He burst open the door of the church, sending the women screaming in terror. Some climbed out of windows, others ran into the belfry. But Delaval was able to lay hands on the chief witch as she remained standing there at the altar. Cursing, she was tied and set on his servant's horse and bound over for trial. She was going to be executed on the sands of Seton Sluice at Blythe. She was dragged forth onto the beach, tied to a stake and was ready to burn. As a last request, she asked if she could have two wooden platters brought to her. Not thinking this was an odd request from somebody about to be burnt at the stake, her captors complied and brought two wooden platters to her. Cackling, the old woman placed one foot in each bowl, muttered an incantation, and in a trice her bonds fell away and she soared into the sky. The crowd looked on in awe and horror that the witch had escaped them using devilish means. But her victory was short-lived. Soon she began to careen about the night sky out of control as one of the plates began to malfunction. What she didn't know was that one of the plates had been washed in fresh water before being brought to her and that had broken the spell. Soon she plummeted to earth, was recaptured and secured firmly to the stake where she met her fiery and that's the story of the wall. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, kind of an interesting story. Goes from, mm, you could have found a bunch of people in a church to flying away on plates. Fantastic. Yes. Um, I just love the way that they, they didn't think it was odd that a witch was, uh, could you just give me some plates, please? That, that. No reason, no reason at all, just some plates. Um, and they went with it. And yes, so that that's the story. So, Obviously, lots of folklore in there. Um, mm. You know the the, the plates, um, the, the fresh water to break the curse, to break the magic. Um, so, I wondered if there was any small element of truth in this story. Now, I came across the work of Alan Fryer, who's written about um, the element of whether a witch was ever recorded as being burnt on Blythe Beach, and he looked at a number of different aspects, which I found really interesting. So, he looked at whether um, there were any records that indicated someone had been burnt. He couldn't find any. Um, not to say it, it might not have been, you know, mob justice, something, you know, mm. there were probably a lot of unrecorded cases of alleged witches being, you know, burned by the local population and never being recorded, not burnt or hanged or executed. Um, he also looked at whether Delavos would have had the power to order capital punishment. Um, and that's quite unlikely because... Witchcraft accusations um, were initially handled by the ecclesiastical courts. And then after about 1604 um, and James I and James VI, mm. he changed some of the witchcraft um, acts. He, um, the, it was the assizes, so the local courts dealt with witchcraft ac accusations. And people in England certainly were more routinely hanged 
than any other form of um, punishment. Burnings were quite common across the border in Scotland, but less so in, in England. Um, so all of that suggested this is quite like an elaborate folk tale. And mm. that maybe it's got some elements of folk memory of you know real witch trials. Um, there are a lot of genuine witchcraft cases. So across the border in the 1590s, there was the, the Berwick witches, and um, they were a very famous set of witches. And Agnes Sampson, one of the witches accused, did um, make some admissions of, um, you know, devilish deeds in churches. So perhaps some of that was involved in this uh, Newcastle Wool's End tale. Um, there's also the element that this story was um, most popularly told by Sir Francis Blake Delaval of Delaval Hall in Northumberland. He mm. um, was, was a really from a family of really well-known eccentrics, um, and they used to accrete uh, uh, tales around them and, and their legendary and eccentric exploits. Francis Blake Delaval lived in the 18th century, and he was um, a politician, and he was really um, keen on theatricals. He was a member of um, the famous 18th century comedian Samuel Foote's acting troupe. So there's a theatrical chap here telling this story to his friends, I'm pretty sure he would have embellished that tale quite a lot. He yes. would have made his ancestor sound like the romantic hero, you know, defending decency and protecting the population from a terrible witch. So, yeah, I thought that that folktale, it's great. It's colourful. There's maybe hints of um, previous real cases. And obviously the Newcastle witches, the witch trials in 1649 that led to 15 people being hanged on the Moor in 1650. That's probably quite fresh in people's memory in the area as well. Um, so this oral tale has become a popular tale in the high society of Francis Blake Delaval. And then it's it's had more elements added to it and become a popular um, addition to a lot of Victorian, you know, um, colourful folklore and, and table books, as they were called. Well, yes, yeah, and the Victorians absolutely loved their tales of the supernatural, didn't they, so... Uh, oh yeah, and, and, and all the, the sort of, uh, I think also perhaps a little bit of their view of society as well, the, the, the hero is the aristocrat going in and sorting out the horrible old crones. Yes. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of that. But um, yeah, so that, that was actual folklore. But then I did come back to the thought, well, there's, I can't find anything about Wall's End itself apart from obviously Holy Cross Church, which is still there. And I wonder if there was a witch in Wall's End, you know, whether she's connected or not. I just got really curious about that. And that led me to reading Joe Bath, who's a fantastic um, writer on Northumbrian and New Northeast witches and witchcraft. Right. And her pamphlet, Charmers, Enchanters and Witches, looks into a case of a witch at Wall's End, or an alleged witch, sorry. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was a lady called Janet Pearson. And she was accused of witchcraft in um, 1570, if I get that right, and her case was reported in the de depositions and other ecclesiastical proceedings from the courts of Durham, extending from 1311 to the reign of Elizabeth. So a nice catchy title. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she her case is in there, and I thought, this is great, she's in the record, she's a, from Wall's End, ecclesiastical courts are dealing with it. So I found out what, what she was accused of, and it, it, it's less witchcraft, more um, 
the kind of magic that you'd expect cunning women or wise women um, to be practicing in, in villages. So she was accused by a man called Robert Durham um, of Wall's End, who said, he hath heard say Janet Pearson uses witchcraft in measuring of belts to preserve folks from the fairy. So that's, that's quite a standard um, thing in cunning folk law that you can protect people from fairies by measuring them and then giving them the, your spell, your potion, whatever, and then measuring them again. And the difference tells you whether it's worked or not. Oh, wow. And it's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to be the origin of the phrase um, to take the measure of someone. So okay, just, yeah. just a little, little aside. So not really harmful magic. It's kind of not what I would call like, you know, malleus maleficorum witchcraft. It's not, you know, making someone's cow's milk go sour or mm. bumping people off. It's it's helpful. It's helpful magic. And magic like that was often was really common. I mean, even into the 19th century in, in some parts of Essex, usually tolerated by the church and the authorities and usually overlooked. So it's quite interesting that Janet was um, accused of accused, witchcraft yeah. based on that kind of practice. So what happened to Janet? Well, it's hard to know what happened to Janet because the record doesn't really say what um, her punishment was. Chances are it was a year in prison because there was a um, act passed in 1563, sorry, the Act Against Conjurations, Enchantments and Witchcrafts, and that mainly focused on malevolent magic, but it did mention um, cunning folk, and it basically said if you're, you know, performing incantations and spells to find things or heal people, that kind of thing, you, you'll get a year in prison. That's it. So possibly that's what her fate was. You know, in the mid sort of 17th century, Newcastle had gone through a really terrible time in the 1630s. It had had plague. It had had the Scots invade and, and stay for two years. It had, you know, been caught up in the Civil War on the Royalist side. It, it had had a really rough time. It had lost a quarter of its population to plague. And then when the Puritans came in, they decided to clear the air a bit and get some <laughs> neighborhood grievances out by calling a witch pricker. And, uh, you know, the result was, was fatal for quite a lot of people. So, yeah, with the Bulls and Witches, um, I don't know that Janet's connected at all. She probably isn't. Or she might be a tiny little strand of it that somebody vaguely remembered a witch in Wall's End. Mm -hmm. but, um, but I think all of it, you know, comes together nicely in that folktale that it's come from an oral tradition. It's um, had some accretions through real historical events, perhaps. It's ended up, you know, being discussed in theatrical circles by the aristocratic Francis Blake Delaval. And then the Victorians have just cottoned onto it and thought, this is great for mass market, we'll put it in our table books. And then sadly after that, it just seems to have vanished because not many people know about it. And I, I think it's just a fabulous story. Oh no, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's my story of the witches. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, that is great. There's, just, there's loads in there. There's loads. That's great. Um, Absolutely brilliant. You. Well, I want to say a huge thank you to Sylvia for giving her time to not only do some research there um, through her own books and the blogs that she's put up, the posts on her blog even, um, but to take time to you know pull her notes together and actually come on the phone and tell those stories. There's loads I could have um, left in there. There was a very long interview and, and um, Sylvia's just full of fascinating facts and spooky stories and there's a lot more I think we could get there and I'm sure I will invite Sylvia back onto the show um, 
if not for next Halloween, then I certainly think beforehand, because there's some wonderful folklore there from the northeast to share. I just, uh, it was great. So if you haven't been on her blog, please go and visit their blog and find out about um, some just wonderfully spooky places across the UK as well as the northeast. Thank you again for Sylvia adding her voice to the Voices of the Northeast podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please share it with your friends and your family. Pop it on your Facebook. Message it to people. Email it to friends all over the world. You know, all the things you've been doing. It's brilliant and it's wonderful and I appreciate all your support. Once you've finished listening to this episode, though, go and check out the second episode because for Halloween, I have at least one more spooky story that I'm dedicating a whole episode to. Okay, so hunt that one down. It's going to simply be Halloween special part two. Bye.